this is our final special episode in our Build 2019 series. This is episode 222, and we sat down with Scott Hunter to talk about all the amazing things happening on the .NET platform, including the upcoming roadmap. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. So we're now talking to Scott Hunter, Director of Program Management for the .NET team and one of our favorite recurring guests. How's it going, Scott? It's going great. <laughs> That's good. It's the last day of build, so it's really going great. I was going <laughs> to say, you're probably just like, this is the best. Like, Not only did you get to announce like all this really cool stuff, but now you're like right after it. But I think tomorrow you're just going to be like, oh, wait, like we now we got to like keep executing <laughs> uh, we have to ship it now because yeah, not only yeah. did we announce stuff we actually announced the ship dates for everything as well so it's, <laughs> right. it's like uh promises have been made now the promises have been made we have we have the dotnet virtual conference dotnet conf uh yeah. september 23rd okay and that's also the the release date of dotnet core 3 ah uh, i was wondering because we we were we were talking to some other people earlier and i said when is dotnet core 3 coming out and they're like september and i'm like that's like oddly specific so now it makes sense why why that date is there um, so yeah, let's let's start for, sort of from the beginning here on .NET Core three because that was announced here. So what's the deal with .NET Core three? Yeah, so we announced .NET Core three last year here. Okay. Um, and you know, if you look at .NET Core, yeah, um, it was kind of we took all the learnings from .NET Framework that we learned over the years mm-hmm. and said let's go build a newer version of .NET that learns from this. So it, you know, fully open source, cross platform, command line. Mm-hmm. Um, all being supported side by side, uh, high performance. Those are kind of like the five or six key tenants that we had as we built .NET Core. Mm-hmm. .NET Core one was primarily web only. Um, you know, it, it's the first version, so you, you yeah, you it, was, it was pretty basic. But the, I mean, then it accelerated quickly after that. It, it accelerated very quickly. We did .NET Core two, <laughs> yep. which which brought uh, a lot more of the web frameworks back into into .NET Core, and it brought .NET Standard, which means we brought a bunch of APIs back. Uh, I think about fifty thousand APIs back. Um, and it became easier to build a, a .NET Core project. Um, but interestingly enough, we still have, um, you know, in a web world, there's still um, millions of developers every month building desktop applications on .NET. Yep. Um, and so because of that, we brought the uh, WinForms and WPF frameworks from .NET Framework into .NET Core. Mm-hmm. And that's coming in the three wave. Um, we also brought NED Framework 6 because our data showed that a lot of folks that were building desktop applications were using EF6. Um, and we're trying to make it as easy for you to move an, an application to uh, .NET Core if you want. So um, from the web side, we uh, did a bunch of things. Blazor is in .NET Core 3, yes. um, which we'll talk about, I think, a little bit later. Um, we added something called gRPC. Um, that is a uh, contract-based RPC mechanism that uh, Google uh, started. And we embraced that because, you know, we could have brought, you know, think about WCF or .NET Remoting. Yeah. What's the modern replacement for that kind of thing? And and uh, gRPC was was interesting to us oh. because um, it felt more modern in that it's language agnostic. Okay. Um, I can build a gRPC server in .NET and you can call it from Java or Node or Python or Go. 
Um, if you have a GRP server running on Node, I can call it from .NET. Okay. I'll so have to it, look at that. I've, I've actually never heard of that. Um, so it gives you, you know, kind of cross-platform, cross-language yeah. uh, RPCs, and that's something we'd recommend if you're if you're coming to Core and you, you have a WCF uh, background. You know, I'd recommend that. Um, and we also added what we call a worker service. Okay. Um, you know, ASP, ASP.NET has always been synonymous with UI. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you build a... We were actually laughing at ourselves in the, in the team room recently. We we're looking at, I'm going to build a web API, mm-hmm. which .NET Core can do really well. ASP.NET Core can do really well. And uh, there's a line inside of the the, the code to, to boot that up called use MVC. Yeah. And I'm like, there's there's no V. <laughs> and uh, there's no V in, yeah. in, in a web API. Right. Um, yeah, and, that is funny. And so, so .NET Core gets kind of known as being, oh, it's... It's a heavyweight framework for, or ASP.NET gets 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 this 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 bad rap for being a heavyweight framework uh, for building you know yeah. APIs and stuff like that. Yet, if you go to Tech Empower, you know Tech Empower is the public benchmark uh, for web stacks. We are consistently cons- consistently in the top ten, if not top five, in the plain text and the fortunes. Right. So I'm not really heavyweight, but there's this perception. And so we're building this new uh, worker service, and that is a long-running process kind of service. You know, you might host that in Kubernetes or something like that. Um, and you get all the benefits of all the tech that we built for ASP.NET Core. So you get uh, configuration, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get dependency injection, you're going to get logging, um, all built in uh, to the stack, but you can use that for a long-running service. So imagine you've got something pulling from a, a queue would be an example of that. Right. Um, and we have another feature that that we're making a big deal about in, in ASP.NET Core 3, which is called endpoint routing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this kind of gets to that heavyweight thing that, that I was talking about before. You've actually been able to do this in, in almost all the way back to ASP.NET Core 1, um, but we're, we're going to make a bigger deal of it. And this is when we've all seen the Node.js Hello World. Yeah, where you write like six lines of code. Well, and, and and I think you know when you're talking about like people think it's heavyweight, I think that's where it comes from. It comes from the hello world. Yes, which is which is funny because like once you spend one day writing a little bit of code, like then they they be they get to the equal point, right? <laughs> well, it's even faster than that. So yeah. if, if t- take the Node.js app, yeah. do hello world. That's wow, that's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, then add Express. Yeah. Oh, and, I know. And yeah. once you've added Express, wow. It's actually got the same number of lines of code that an MVC project has. Yeah. Um, but but I think we did over overdo the MVC. You know, it, it, web API shouldn't require MVC, and there are some cases yeah. where you. I thought that was a little weird. Yeah, uh, the, we actually didn't mean to call it MVC in ASP.NET Core. It was just just supposed to be ASP.NET Core, but but the community kind of just said it, and, and it kind of stuck. Uh, but endpoint routing lets you basically just mac- make a URL and make the parameters that would match to that URL. And when a request comes into that, we'll just route, route it right to the C sharp code you wrote. So if you, oh, that's so, cool. so if you, no, want, that is like sort of like express routing. It is. Okay. Um, so it gives you kind of what Node, Hello World, plus Express yeah. together, kind of combined. Um, and one of the demos I did on Monday was we actually had a uh, an app that called that, and then it blasted out to SignalR to a to a, a bunch of websites. Um, but I was able to write the entire web API in one file. Okay. That's uh, nice. There's no controller folder. There's no nothing. Um, and we're, you're going to see us make a bigger deal of that moving forward, that uh, you can get right to code if you just want to have code. I, I have to say, I'm, I am genuinely excited about that because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a, 
you know, in like my personal life, I'm, I'm just like a, a hobbyist in, in writing these things. And it, it was always so much ceremony and like .NET. And now in the enterprise world, I mean, it, it always made sense. Like I, I need to have like these structures in place because I have to manage this big thing. So now I like that you can, you can sort of start from that place. But then you have this path going forward because I think I think where where no and we'll we'll probably get some hate mail over this, but I think where like Node falls down is kind of where you were saying like you bring in Express and now it's like oh, I want to build this enterprise application. Like to me, it gets really ugly really quick. Whereas .NET really has or ASP.NET I should say really has like a clear um, you know it has like a clear story whenever you do add all that complexity. Yeah, I, I think we we came from the other side first, right? And now we're coming to the to the other side, yeah. you know, the, the the smaller side. Yep. I think it's good to have both, and we're going to have both. Exactly. And uh, you know, hopefully, if you build this app like I was describing, uh, you don't see a lot of ASP.NETisms in it. Um, yeah. As I said, we we demoed this; it was probably a thirty line program, uh, but it gave you it gives you all the power of, as you said, Express plus Node. Um, and you know, our our job is basically developers' choices. Okay. Did you demo it in Visual Studio or VS Code? I demoed it in Visual Studio okay. uh, for that demo, but it works just fine in, in Visual Studio okay. Code as well. So yeah, I'm it, just curious what that looks like. Um, it, Brady actually wrote it for me, yeah. and uh, Brady wrote it in Visual Studio Code on a Mac. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. Did he tell you? Because we he was we were recording a podcast with him. And he kept like pausing during the podcast because you were like sending him messages and he's like, oh yeah, uh, Scott wants to do this uh, crazy build thing. And I left it all in the episode so you can go back and listen to all of it where, you know, he keeps like, he's like, what was that question again? And there was like, there was like a 10 minute period. It was all, I just, I kept it all in because I thought it was hilarious. Well, I think that's how I ended up being here because I was, he was, yeah. he's like, he's like, yeah, he, yeah. He, I'm like, I'm like, I haven't seen those guys in a while. I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to get, I, I, I want to get back on that show. So exactly. So we really appreciate it. We always like talking to you. Um, but yeah, he was. He, so he built it on VS Code on a Mac, and then cool. I demoed it with Visual Studio awesome. on a Windows box. And that's the cool thing about .NET Core is you know Absolutely. we support all these. You can switch in and out of IDEs and switch in and yep. out of operating systems, and it's it's all cool. But those are the uh, the mega features that are coming in in .NET Core three. And so .NET Core three will ship in September, yep. uh, around September twenty third, and that'll be the uh, what we call a GA release. And then in November we'll have what we call our, our long term support or LTS build. Um, so basically we'll ship the GA, let it bake for about two months, mm. um, see what bugs come through that we missed. And, uh, um, then and we'll then lock it in, lock it in and say it's long-term support and we'll, we'll then start working on five. Okay. Yeah. So what's the, what's the story around five? Because it sounds like this is a, a pretty big task that's, uh, it's going to take for Microsoft to, to get this completed. Yeah. So, so the idea behind five was, you know, if you look at .NET, it's 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 sort of fragmented in that we had .NET Framework, um, and then in about 2016 we shipped .NET Core, um, and at the same time, right around that same time, I think we bought Xamarin as well, um, and Xamarin is built on top of Mono, yep, because um, they needed a runtime that actually, a .NET runtime that can run on iOS and Android, and so I've got three .NETs, and I'm <laughs> I'm like, man, we you know we created .NET Standard, which is this this contract for letting you share code across these .NETs, but wouldn't it be cool if we could actually reduce a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that was the the idea behind uh, .NET five um, was to put kind of put the the core world and the mono world from Xamarin together into a single product um, where any application you want to build, whether it's a web app, a desktop app, an Android app, an iOS app, a Mac app, IoT app, uh, can all be built on the same 
small modular cross-platform open source.net. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it was a fun journey uh, as we were planning this. We actually, um, I'm, I'll tell you something that we did, but we, we tried really hard not to say at build uh, internally, we called this one.net mm-hmm. um, because it was, yeah, a, we have yeah. like one Microsoft and you know, we have, we use one all the time internally. I, I didn't want to make a, I knew if I said it at build, I, I would make it a brand Yeah, and I don't want the brand. <laughs> no. So I, I purposely didn't say it. Right. Um, but you might ask Carl, you know, we're at .NET Core 3 and we're going to go to 5. <laughs> well, to me, I, I quickly came to what I'm assuming is the right answer is, well, we have to bring together Mono, Full Framework, and Core. A lot of people are doing Core, so they're like 3 to 5, that's a gap. It's kind of like Windows 9, where is it? But we're on 4.7 or 4.8x on Full Framework, yeah. so the next logical one from there is 5. So far, this has tested really well. Everybody I talk to says the same thing that you do, which means we're actually doing the right thing. I here. didn't think of it. I mean, to be fair, like we, because we recorded a podcast before this and Carl figured it out. And I'm like, oh, so I, I was not smart enough to figure Cause, it out. Because here, here's where we're <laughs> going to land. We're going to have .NET Core 4 yeah. and .NET Framework 4.8. That seems confusing to me. Yeah, yeah, two, yeah. F- two well, versions. There, wait, 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 hold on. There's no, there's not going to be a .NET Core four, is there? No, we're going to skip four. Right. Okay. I wanted but, to make sure. Okay. But if we had not, yeah, if, yeah, we, yeah. if we had not gone to five, okay. So the the purpose of five was number one to be bigger than four point eight and to be bigger than than Core three point <laughs> Yep. We want to make it very clear to customers that the the way we think of .NET is if you're building a brand new application, it should be built on Core. Yep. Um, if you have existing applications, and I I say this, and and I know that my blog post is got piles of comments that I've not had a chance to go read yet because I've just been doing build. Um, existing apps can stay on .NET Framework. In fact, we would tell people, in most cases, it, it does not make sense to port an application just, just for the sake of porting an application. If you have an app running on .NET Framework that you've been working on for the last five or ten years, mm-hmm. you're probably best to leave it there. Yeah. You, you only need a port if you want to go do something new, like go to Linux or go to containers. I make smaller containers. You can do Windows containers with, with .NET Framework. Um, but there's there's really no you know, rush to go move. I need to move all my assets. No, you don't have to move all your assets. Right. Well, you're going to discontinue .NET Framework. No, we're not going to discontinue <laughs> .NET Framework. In fact, Visual Studio is built on .NET Framework. Much of Azure is built on .NET Framework. Yeah. Much of Office 365 is built on, on .NET Framework. And those apps are going to stay on .NET yeah. Framework. Yeah, because, we have the same problem everybody else has. Um you know, the, it just comes to a point where, you know, Scott, why aren't why aren't you adding more stuff to .NET Framework? Well, it, .NET Framework basically, because it's part of Windows, gets blasted to 1.1 billion machines. Mm-hmm. So imagine I make a bug, and three weeks from now, it's on a, a 1.1 billion machines. It, mm-hmm. it it just doesn't it doesn't work. And when I t- when I talk to most customers, and I'm like, like this actually happened to us last February. Um, we made a update to SQL Client to support a new feature. And it broke SQL Client. <laughs> and uh, luckily, Windows Update is set up in a way now that we can actually identify once we see a problem. It, Windows Update rolls out kind of slowly and then gets faster. Wow. Um, we caught it really early and were able to stop it. But that just shows you the damage that can be done by having yeah. a bug that starts getting populated on you know over a billion machines. Mm-hmm. Eek, crazy. But uh, now you can sort of use side-by-side, side, right? I mean, Yeah, so that was another piece of the, yeah. the core world was we'd seen this problem for time and time again, and so we, we wanted to go fully side-by-side. Side. Yep. Um, so you can have multiple multiples of these on the machine. And, and it's also we're not part of the, any, any operating systems anymore, which means you decide when you want to put a new .NET Core on the machine, not the operating system right. or not Windows Update or not anybody else. 
Yeah, so looking at some of the challenges that you and your team have, you have to bring you have to make something that supports the full framework, you know, what kind of applications full framework backed that had, you know, people used to having that, you know, you updated the framework and you got your updates that way. You have core, which is much smaller and lighter and, you know, uh, across multiple platforms. And you also have Mono, which has entirely different performance characteristics. You have things like Unity built on them, which many, many games are built on. Many. You, ha- you have a lot of different you know, performance characteristics across those three fl- frameworks. What kind of uh, ways are you guys setting yourself up for success amongst these challenges? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. This is, this is one of the things we have a, we have a document inside uh, the team where we talk about exactly what you said. So um, if I think of... Uh, Mono and Xamarin, I think of a couple things. Mono runs on platforms that .NET Core does not run on today. So one of the things we have to fix is we have to make .NET Core run on all the platforms that Mono runs on. Um, like, you know, .NET Core doesn't run on Android or iOS. Um, it surely doesn't run on some of the things that these Unity games run on. Um, and so that's that's one aspect of it. Another thing that, that the, the Xamarin work brings is um, because of the types of devices they run on, they support something called a ahead-of-time compile or AOT. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a typical .NET application, we don't compile your .NET application to machine code. We compile it to IL. And then when you launch the application, we have a, a jitter, yep. just-in-time compiler that kind of boots up and t- takes the IL and converts it to machine language for the platform you're running on. Right, because you can't JIT on the iPhone, right? Right. You're, right. Yeah. Uh, many platforms, not not just them, but, but right. even some IoT folks don't want you to actually make code on the fly mm-hmm. for security purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, for per- performance reasons, if we, if we actually boot the jitter up, well, that's going to require RAM to load the yeah. jitter into memory and run it. Device, yeah. um, so there's a, there's a variety of reasons you might not want that. But yeah. uh, so we will we will we're, we will combine the just in time compile that we have in uh, .NET Core, and we'll take the ahead of time compile or native that we have in the Mono stack and put them all into .NET five. So you can, as a developer, you can decide when you want to be native, when you want to be JIT. So what's the difference between the AOT stuff from uh, Mono and like .NET Native? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, uh, .NET Native is some tech that we built a couple years ago when the Windows Store was coming into play. And we wanted to have .NET applications or UWP applications run in, in the store. Uh, very similar to Apple with iOS, the Windows team wanted to have um, the ability to, to hopefully statically scan uh, an application to see if they could check for for particular vulnerabilities or problems, um, and so there were some restrictions put on what you could do with .NET Native. Um, and the experience for building UWP is actually kind of confusing because when you develop locally, you actually run on core CLR. When you publish to the store, it gets compiled into a native native executable, which which gives you a better startup and you know slightly mm-hmm. better memory performance. But in some cases, there's some features in .NET that were removed for security purposes, um, which means what happens is you control F5 locally, it runs great, you publish it at the store, and it breaks, and you go, what yeah, happened? Cause yeah, because I always think back to the, the saying, uh, test what you use and use what you test, and that's oh. like, there was a, a mismatch there. So for me, I think of that even differently. I think of yeah. that, I, I don't think .NET native is actually .NET. If it doesn't do all the things .NET does, it's, it's something slightly less than .NET. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the mono AOT runs all .NET code. Okay. Um, and and uh, what we'll do is we'll, we, I want to give you the option uh, of basically being able to use the Mono AOT, which runs all .NET code, yay, 
Um, and if you if you want to run in a more secure environment, then there's an additional checkbox somewhere saying take away some of the the stuff that I might not want in a in a really secure environment. But it's instead of that being the default like it is today for yeah. UWP, it becomes an option. I want .NET to be .NET until you decide for whatever reason you want a little less .NET. Yeah. Um, this is this is just so great though. I'm just so excited about this. I I hated this concept of like that dot net that dot net and that dot net and i just like that it's just dot net now we'll still have two i mean this dot yeah. net framework's not going away yeah um but i think it will be very clear that dot net 5 is greater yeah. than 4.8 and this is the future but we, we we should talk about there is there are some uh there are some missing pieces okay uh, yeah, i was gonna ask like how if you are on dot net framework and you want to move to five then like what's going to keep you from doing that uh, the, the the big pieces that'll keep you from doing that would be uh asp.net system web um, w- w- WCF okay. Windows, you know, uh, and uh, Windows Workflow. Those okay. are the three frameworks uh, that we did not. I could not- see, yeah, System yeah. Web and WCF. I could see being big ones, and then obviously Workflow for some certain people. Yeah, there's a, there's a class of uh, people that Workflow yeah. is for. Um, a lot of folks ask us, you know, why don't you just port everything? Yeah, um, we actually tried. Um, so that so <laughs> we, you, you don't start by not trying. We actually yeah. did the investigation. Uh, people don't realize that like uh, system web uh, was, was basically a, a, a bunch of .NET code that was bolted with native code to IS. That's kind of what I was figuring. <laughs> and, and, uh, it, and, and so at the under the underlying layer of, of system web is basically a one-to-one mimic of the way that, that IS actually works internally. Yeah. Uh, modules are a native component of IS and they're exposed directly through the, the hardware handlers or something as well. Yeah. Um, and so if we ported it, it would not be compatible anyways because it, we have to run cross-platform. Um, so it's not going to be compatible. Uh, the engineering estimate to port it was super expensive. Yeah. Um, we would have, you know, so we kind of ask ourselves, do we just want to wait a couple of years and do nothing else and, and, and not drive the platform forward? Or do we just want to say, hey, we have alternatives? Yeah. And I think we have actually good alternative, alternatives. So if you're, if you're a web form developer, first off, as I said before, don't feel you have to port your applications to .NET Core. Mm-hmm. Build new applications on .NET Core. Um, if you build new applications on .NET Core, um, Blazor is very similar to web forms. It's a component model. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has events. Um, so it's, 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 it's the closest one-to-one. There's, a, there's an open source project um, called dot, dot .VVM. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's done by one of our MVPs, uh, Tamaz, and it's a great way. It has all the same controls that that uh, uh, that ASP.NET Webforms has, uh, but it's in the v, uh, uh, the MVVM model. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat with him in the booth at, at, at Build, and we ported a Webform app first to .dot VVM, mm-hmm. uh, running on, on still on .NET Framework, and then we swapped out .NET Framework or .NET Core. And it was we did it in thirty minutes. I mean, it's, it's but then work. it was running in the browser instead, since it was Blazor or not? Not Blazor. This is oh, okay. dot, dot VVM. Okay, okay. So, so it's still um, on server. Okay, it's, it's it's still server. Um, okay. Uh, so that was a that was a you know so if, so if you're a web form customer, that's what I would recommend. Uh, if you're WCF and you're building a new app, as I said, I think this is mainly for new apps. Uh, the G, gRPC work we we I was talking about this in three O bits is a great great uh, uh, solution. We might have another solution there as well. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about workflow, and then we can jump back. Mm-hmm. For, for Windows Workflow, um, Dustin, who worked on it at Microsoft, um, started, he, he just went and grabbed the reference source code. So I don't know if people know this, but all the source code for .NET Framework is open. 
and available for anybody to, to go grab. Mm-hmm. It's under a license that you can copy it and use it in your own apps or whatever. And so Dustin went and grabbed all the workflow source code from GitHub, from GitHub, or actually from the reference source code. It's not actually, I don't think it's actually in GitHub. Um, from the reference source code, and he ported it and made a .NET Core version of workflow. Okay. Um, the cool thing about this was along the way, I, I pinged him in December, and I'm like, hey, how's, how's workflow going? And he goes, well, I'm missing a few things. Our reference source code didn't contain any of the XAML files in the, in the .NET framework. And, and so workflow had some XAML files so you could actually embed the designer for workflow in your existing applications. Oh, yeah. Uh, but once he told me that, I'm like, oh, I can fix this. Yeah. <laughs> so we open, we open source the rest of we, well, I, <laughs> I'm like, we'll put the rest of the XAML files up there. And yeah. so it's all up there now. And so there's a fully open source port of, of workflow out there in a, in a big company in Bellevue uh, called UiPath mm-hmm. is currently shepherding okay. uh, that project. We're trying to f- see if we can find some people in the community that would want to shepherd uh, a DubCF style project. And, and if we find the right people, um, we will we will donate some of our code. You know, as I said, we we did start porting some of these things. Yeah. So we have enough code to at least get the the basic bot- bottom part of WCF running on top of Kestrel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be a there there could be a a open source solution that it, it would never be compatible, as I said, but it might help uh, if you really wanted to. Port. Yeah, so, it's a, it, you know it it just makes it a little bit easier to you know get more modern. But so there's those three mm-hmm. those three frameworks are missing. Workflow's got a great open source alternative. Uh, gRPC would be our move forward alternative for WCF and Blazor and .VVM would be our, our move forwards for web forms if you want to build new apps and use the skills you already have. Raygun provides full stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to Raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes. And dramatically improve the online experience of your users. As we're still talking about .NET 5, the one thing that we haven't talked about in this realm is how does .NET standard fit with this entire topic? That's a great question. <laughs> um, and that's, that's a question I get asked a million times, actually, is... Is .NET Standard dead because you sh- you're making a .NET five? <laughs> and I think the answer to that is no. .NET Standard is not 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 going anywhere. It's it's uh, it's still super important because, as I said, leave your existing applications in .NET framework. You're still going to have the cases where you're going to want to share source code between or sh- or share libraries that you write between .NET Framework and .NET Core or .NET five, mm-hmm. um, and .NET Standard is what enables that. So if you build a .NET Standard 2.0 library. That library will work in Xamarin, it'll work in .NET Framework, and it'll work in .NET Core and .NET 5. It's probably the most concise description I've heard of that. Um, That's great. <laughs> and so it can't go away. And, and here's the reality. Like, .NET Core 3 ships with uh, .NET Standard 2.1. So it's a, an updated version of .NET Standard that's only available in Core 3. Um, and it takes some of the new language constructs that we did, like span and stuff, and 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 uh, IAsync enumerable and some other stuff we did, and flows them through much of uh, the BCL. Um, I think library authors for, for, for the next year or two or three will primarily stay on .NET Standard 2 because they want to be able to go across all the platforms. Right. And at some point, you know, .NET 5 and above will amass enough people, enough, enough developers that you, you don't think about that backwards compatibility as much. But right now, you know, we haven't even shipped .NET Core 3 yet. Right. So, <laughs> so it matters immensely right now. Um, and so people should still target, you know, .NET Standard 2. Absolutely. 
So let's move on and talk about Blazor. Uh, so that's an official preview now. Official preview, yes. Yes. So what does that mean? <laughs> um, it's it's. I was just having this exact question. My team was, uh, I think over the weekend, uh, Dan Roth, who's on the Blazor project, He's like, hey, can I announce the uh, the go live go live preview? So, we, so in our in our .NET course three uh, O schedule, um, we have a RC in in uh, July, and we call those go live. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm asking my own team, I'm like, what does go live even mean, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there used to be a concept of a go live license, right? Where it's like, hey, like we're not done with this, but like it's cool if you use it in production. If you remember that, that's that. technically what we're yeah. saying here, but, yeah. but if you want a patch, the way to get a patch is you'll have to go to the, the newer, the, ne- the next yeah. point release that we do. So it's, yeah. it feels in an open source world, those kind of licenses feel a little goofy to me. Yeah. Um, of course we'll fix the bugs. If you find yeah. bugs, we'll fix bugs, whether it's go live or not go live. Right. Um, you know, it, to me, it comes down to that GA time is when it, when it really matters, but we'll be go live and, and uh, RC in July okay. uh, on those stacks. Uh, Blazor is is uh, interesting tech. I mean, it was uh, um, it's probably we we get the most uh, you know interest in the in the in the in the stack right now from uh, some of the Blazor bits that we show. So Blazor is is uh, let lets you build spa applications, um, but it does not require you to know JavaScript or use JavaScript, and it does not require you to use a, a framework like Angular, React, or Vue uh, to build these applications, um, and it, you can it, just dot net all the things. It's just dot net all the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and there's there's some benefits there. You get one tool chain. You don't have to go stack six six or seven tool chains together to build something, and you know wonder why something didn't work. Um, you get to, uh, to use a strong strongly typed language both on the client and the server. So you're going to find out about your errors before you actually uh, you know run the application versus yep. when you run the application. Um, and hopefully with WebAssembly, we'll give you some crazy performance. Um, on the client as well, but we don't require WebAssembly. So, like the Blazor that will ship as part of .NET Core three is actually what we call server side Blazor. Uh, okay, and so, <laughs> explain. So let me explain how that I'm, works. I'm totally confused now. <laughs> um, the programming model is exactly the same. You okay. you write your uh, your 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 Razor components and you put them on the page, and your app is a spa. I mean, the browser never redraws the entire thing. We never do a post back. We never all yeah. those concepts are gone. So it, it's it's a spa app. If you have a button and you write an event. Um, you know, we'll call that code. But I thought WebAssembly was the magic that was making all that work. Uh, yes and no. So we, okay. we, we uh, so let me tell you how it works on server side. Mm-hmm. So if you have server side enabled, which will be our, our, our default now because the, the WebAssembly stuff is kind of in preview. Um, what'll happen is let's say that let's, you have a web page, you got some text, a text box and you have a button um, and you put an on click on the button and you say, call this C-sharp code. You write yep. some C-sharp code there, and you say, call it. Well, what will actually happen is when you click the button, um, we'll fire that event to the server. The server will actually go, oh, he wanted the, the person wanted to click the button. Mm-hmm. And let's say the button code you know, changes some text on the screen. Uh, we then record the delta of what would have happened, and we send using SignalR... We send the delta back up to the to the client. So is there some JavaScript glue? There, there is some JavaScript okay. glue going okay. on here. I was like, I was like, how are you doing this? Like, this sounds really like magic now. We're sending diffs back and forth okay. from the from the from the front to the back, okay. um, and which means the web page is ultra performant because even though there is a yeah. a call to the server, it's a very small call. And let's say you change the word on the page. Okay, so we sent six bytes back. 
We didn't send a whole web page. Yeah, yeah. So it, there was a similar technology like a decade ago that was doing diffs like that. What was that? Well, we had we had we had something called an update panel. Update panel. That was it. Um, yeah, that, that you could do. That in, was it. In, yeah, in, yeah. In, in uh, web, it was forms. like this thing. Like it was again. It was like magic. It's like I'm gonna drop this on here and like start updating things. And it's like, how was this updating? Um, <laughs> and it worked a similar way. Okay, but I would say that's that was a heavier weight model. Yeah. It was built on on system web, which means there was view state and a bunch of other stuff yeah. going on there. Uh, but this is light and pretty powerful, and so you can get this server side version of this. Um, at, that's amazing, and, and that runs today. And then of course the preview part of this is. And the most exciting part to a lot of the people that, that have seen the tech is uh, the WebAssembly. Mm-hmm. And for people that don't know what WebAssembly is, WebAssembly is a spec or it's a it's a standard that all the the modern browsers now support. Even the ones on your phones uh, support this, and it it's kind of like IL that can run inside the browser. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, the, the the WebAssembly support is the first part of .NET 5 that's going to start leaking out mm-hmm. um, because it it's basically using the monotech. Oh, okay. That's the ahead-of-time compile tech. <laughs> um, we're using the monotech to basically take your .NET code, compile it down into WebAssembly, mm-hmm. um, and then transfer that to the browser, and it runs in the browser uh, pretty much natively. So you'll get, you know, it'll run faster than JavaScript would run in the, in the browser. The cool thing about the WebAssembly to me is and and you know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I've you know we've all been around long enough to to have witnessed when you could put Java in your browser. Yeah. Uh, then there was ActiveX from us. <laughs> yep. Then there was Silverlight. Yep. Uh, there's Flash. Yep. You know, but each of those technologies was dangerous because um, all those components, whether it was Java or Silverlight or or Flash or any of that stuff, those things ran as admin on your machine. Um, <laughs> And could do bad stuff, but yeah, like 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 sort of lightweight walls were <laughs> placed around. Very them, lightweight know? walls, not not lightweight enough. <laughs> exactly. Um, and WebAssembly excites me because it seems to be the best of all those models, where yeah. um, all all of our modern browsers actually are running each tab in a process for process isolation, um, and WebAssembly can't escape that sandbox. So if you know uh, somebody asked me on a on an interview yesterday, it's like. Well, those DLLs going to your browser, that sounds really dangerous. <laughs> um, those DLLs can't do, they can't write to the file system. They can't right. see the file system. They can only see what the browser lets them yeah. see, um, which means you're running in this tight sandbox. It's like, we, if, we, if, if we had done that 20 years ago, we would still have web plugins. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. it's funny because I'm not, like, my gut is telling me, like, that that's not dangerous. Like, that, that isn't my first impression. My my first impression, maybe you can make me feel better about this, is just, like, we have been through all those other iterations. And, like, I invested in, um, well, I mean, I did ActiveX. Um, I actually did some Java, not a whole lot. But, I you know, I heavily invested in ActiveX controls. And then there was also, um, there was a way to do .NET in the browser. It was a four-letter acronym. I don't remember what it was. Remember that where you could just take a .NET app and just put it in your browser? I did that as well. And then I also did um, uh, the Flash one, but it was uh, Adobe Flex. Yep. And then and then I did Silverlight. Like I've been, I don't want to say I was burned, but like I've been through like every iteration of this. And it's like before I, I like really invest in Blazor and just sort of commit myself to it, like is it is it going to stick around? You know, like I, I know that's like a mean question, but um, that's that's just the thing that I worry about. Is in like three years, be like, you know, that was like a really bad idea. <laughs> I, I've not seen any any areas of bad idea here. First yeah. off, as remember, remember, Blazor can run server side anyway. So whether whether WebAssembly is there or not, oh, there's a Blazor story. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about the WebAssembly part yep. of it. Um, but I do think the WebAssembly tech will stick around, and I, I think yeah. it's going to stick around for this reason. 
The, the browser seems to be the best way to move apps around devices today. Most yeah. of us run apps in our browsers. Um, and WebAssembly lets, says you don't have to write in JavaScript to be in the browser. Right. I can write in C++, I can write in Go, I can write in Python, I can write in Java, I can write in .NET. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if the browser becomes the synonymous thing to run your apps in, then I think we don't want to just limit it to one language and one, one style. Um, and so I think WebAssembly, I think, I think uh, um, Autodesk showed AutoCAD running in a browser. Okay. Um, and that's a C++ app that, uh, yeah. that, that they, I think, ported to WebAssembly and, and got Autodesk in a browser. And just think about how powerful that is. I mean, yeah. Autodesk works, works on an iPad. Right. Well, the, the interesting thing, uh, like as we talk about WebAssembly, is last week Jason and I ran across this news article on Mozilla.org talking about a new standardization around WebAssembly. It's in early days in it, but it's trying to get WebAssembly running outside of browser context. Yep. Uh, th that would not surprise me as well. Once again, as soon as you do that, you have this runnable thing that runs yep. in a sandbox yep. that can run anywhere. Um, Google is actually some of some of the uh, Google's actually released a couple of uh, WebAssembly-based applications for Chromebooks. Mm. So some of the Chromebooks, some of the apps on them are actually browser apps. Oh wow, apps. yeah, that opens up a lot. Um, and then even like ARM machines and and all of that is really, I think that's really interesting. Like um, Windows on ARM. But I I can't think of the name of it, but I'm pretty sure it was a, the Google one was a Doodle program where you could actually you know paint on the screen with your finger and stuff okay. like that. And it was actually a WebAssembly app. So even Google is is dipping their their toes yeah. into that. So, so I, I think the the biggest difference from like history. Well, first of all, we've learned from all of that. And then second of all, instead of like one company saying like, you know, whether it's Adobe or whether it's, you know, Microsoft, like saying like, hey, we, we are the ones like giving you this way to do this thing. Now it seems like everybody's just like, this is the path forward. Yeah. So that, so that, that is like a huge difference. Well, there's a standards committee on WebAssembly yeah, and all exactly. the companies are represented in it. It runs in yeah. all the browsers. So okay. it, it does feel like it's more of the open collaborative versus, right. you know, as you said, this company versus that company yeah. that we kind of saw in the past. And I think the security aspect of it to me is the most important yeah. part. It's like, wow, I can get the language of my choice running in the browser and not worry about, you know, having it be a security issue for doing that. And, and these, remember the sandbox exists because we are running JavaScript in our browsers today. Right. The sandbox was meant to keep the JavaScript uh, from getting out of your browser and, yep. and doing something bad. And it was also meant it's battle tested. <laughs> uh, it was, it was also meant to also f for the, for browser bugs too, to make yeah. sure that a bug in a browser was not going to leak out of the process mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, do bad stuff to your, to your machine. So I feel a lot better about it now. Yeah. It also seems like a great opportunity to pair with other technologies like PWAs to have people who they just want an app at the end of the day and they don't want to do all the JavaScript -y or webby things because they do have that app background to them, but they, they want to have the broader reach. Yeah. That's, uh, that's exactly what I think. I think we're, I think this tech is going to make it very easy for people to take their existing skills, apply them to the web, as you said, without having to go learn another language, um, and they get the broad reach of the browser. Um, that's a powerful you, performance, broad reach of browser, use the, use what, use the skills that I yeah. know. That's a, you know, because going from building, let's say, a WinForm application to, you know, learning a CSS framework, uh, JavaScript framework, JavaScript, Webpack, and the variety of other technologies you're going to chain together yeah. to do linting and everything else, that that can be scary. Yeah. And for and for us, we know we're, we, one of the things we always try to say when we talk about Blazor and WebAssembly and stuff like that is uh, we're not trying to replace JavaScript. That is not the job of my team at all. My team is just to say, I want you to be able to use the skills you have to do more cool stuff. Absolutely. 
So when is uh, when is .NET five scheduled then? So that'll ship in November of of 2020. So something else we announced at Build is you know we not only do we announce the three O dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we announced the five, six, seven, eight, and probably I think we. <laughs> um, what's, gonna, in, what's in dot core not, dot, or dot, what's in dot net framework nine? I have no idea. <laughs> um, but we have the date for it. We have the date Qua- for it. Quantum. Uh, that's actually about the right time. The yeah. quantum, you're probably about right. I think we're yep. five to ten years away from. Quantum, we need to mark so. this on the calendar, Jason. Yeah, exactly. Um, we should actually mark it on the calendar to see if Jason actually <laughs> called and predicted when quantum is going to be a thing. Uh, probably. Um, but we're going to go to an annual cadence. And so uh, .NET 5 will ship in 2020. Yep. .NET uh, 6 will ship in 2021, uh, November every year. Um, and then every other year will be an LTS. So 5.0 will not be an LTS. will not be a long-term support, which means you'll have to stay on the latest version of 5 to get mm-hmm. support. 6 will come out as an LTS. Uh, then 7 will be a non-LTS. And, and, and we're not the first tech stack to do this. Uh, Node.js works this way. Ubuntu works this way. Um, we're actually kind of following a, a pattern that other that other makes sense. other things have, um, and it, but it makes it cl- clear to our customers like when yeah. when when is support for this going to end? Yep. Well, since I can predict the future, yeah, it's very easy to see when it's, it's simple end. and predictable. Yeah, that's what we want to do. So. We, customers used to ask me, hey, I need maybe I need more support for this LTS. And I'm like, why? Well, we don't know when the next non LTS, I mean, the next LTS is oh. going to come. That's a valid. That was a great question. Yeah. That's totally yeah, you valid because you could have a gap, right? I, I could have waited three years between release, uh, right. five years, and they don't know, and because they don't yeah. know, they have uncertainties, right? Um, so I love the fact that uh, we're being very clear and transparent with our, our customers. That's great. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. uh, there's one more thing I want to make sure that I, I talk about. There's sure. a blog post that I put up on Monday called .NET Core is the future of .NET. Um, and, you know, historically, you know, Microsoft's not been great with things like Silverlight. Mm-hmm. Was it done? When did it, when, when did it become done? <laughs> uh, we're not good at telling our customers yeah. when, uh, what we're doing. And so the .NET team really wants to not be that way. We want to be as transparent and as simple as possible. And so it, basically the, the gist of the blog post is, .NET Framework 4.8 is the last major version of .NET Framework. Um, I don't want people to be freaked out by that. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't plan to, you know, already there was tons of questions like, well, you say you're going to patch it, but you're not. Um, but th- we said earlier in, the, in, the, in this show, .NET Framework is a part of Windows. Windows depends on it. Mm-hmm. Visual Studio depends on it. A lot of products in Microsoft depend on it. That's not going to change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it will be supported pretty much forever. As long as there's a Windows operating system, there'll be a .NET framework. Um, but we want customers to really know that .NET Core is the future. Yeah. And yeah, if, you, if you want to keep moving forward, that's that's the train you want to be We're in. not going to port any more features from .NET Framework to .NET Core. So yeah. don't wait. You know, If you're going to wait another year, because, oh, if I wait, just wait one more year, they'll port something else. We're not going to port anything else. We're done. Okay. Um, but we want to be very clear and not leave any blurry lines there. And so we're saying, as I said earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, .NET Core is where all new apps should be built. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have apps on .NET Framework that need to move to Linux or whatever, then you might consider moving those to .NET Core. But for the rest of your apps, leave them on .NET Framework and feel comfortable leaving them on .NET Framework. Visual Studio will always support building .NET Framework applications. We will continue to patch. If new features are required, like TLS 1.6 or whatever, yeah. whenever the next thing comes out, we will make sure that .NET Framework always has the new security protocols and has the new security standards and stuff like that built into it. So it's it's not we're not stopping. We're just not adding new features other than making sure it stays current uh, with the stuff that's out there. And that really is my takeaway from the show: sense. is yeah. um, 
don't be confused. We want to be very black and white. <laughs> um, I, I understand it. So obviously it's simple and clear enough. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, anything else you wanted to ask, Carl? No. I, is there anything that we forgot to talk about today? <laughs> we we got the big stuff. I, I know. I was I, gonna say. I think I think we covered. Uh, I think we covered all the all the big stuff. So where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at uh, at coolcsh. Perfect. And uh, thank you so much for coming on here and just really laying this all out, being super clear. And congratulations on all the amazing work too. Like this is this is super exciting. See all this stuff converge. Yeah, you know, uh, thank you very much. And you know, I, th- I think for this show we're good. But but uh, you know, we also announced you know uh, mlnet ml.net, uh, which is our machine learning library for .net. It it uh, went one zero uh, this week at build. Ah, perfect. We had an episode on that like six months ago. Um, we have some tooling now that you wouldn't that we didn't even know was on the roadmap six months ago. We have tooling <laughs> now where. Um, you have a, a GUI that you can actually feed data files to or SQL Server files to, mm. and it will actually figure out the right model for your for your problem. Oh, I like that. <laughs> um, and write you the code to consume the model. Okay. Uh, I like so, that even better. Yeah. <laughs> I like I, I, I'm going to do what Carl said. I like the second one even better. That's, that's really where it is. Like, at Build last year, I remember my team's like, well, you should show this demo, Scott. And I'm like, I can't understand the demo. Why would I show it? <laughs> now I, I can do, do that exact same demo and go, yeah. hey, I don't have to understand it because I can do this and this and this and it spit the code out and I call yeah. the code and I'm I'm good. Uh, and we also announced, um, it happened last week, but we, we iterated again, uh, .NET for Apache Spark. Okay. So if you want to build new big great. data with .NET, you know, yep. consuming multi-terabytes of data, uh, you don't have to go switch to Python or Scala to go do that. We have a great .NET story for that as well. But the big stuff is the stuff we talked about, the .NET Core 3, the release dates, .NET 5. Um, that's the good stuff. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. Okay. And we're looking good. Yeah, we are recording. The levels are amazing. The levels are so oh my good. God. They're so good. I love this screen in here. It's I love a- how when I talk, you know, it's mesmerizing. The gets brighter. <laughs> it's not just on and off. It just like pulses in.